Good people of Los Angeles, tonight we're back in the backyard on the FCFC pod. We got Andy Diosa, my boy in the booth, the homie with bylines and many of the sports publications you know and appreciate, but currently covering Los Angeles Football Club and other football around the country. We talk about Medellin. We talk about magic mushrooms that Slim may or may not have eaten for this episode. We talk about uh, tea a little bit and we get into just like what it is about football that brings us all together to the point where Spice is going to make me talk about Cal Jennings as the captain. Oh, we forgot to get into that. Man bun, man bun. All of that and more on this episode of FCFC. Slim, we want to hit him with the warning? Ladies and gentlemen, we are in the backyard and uh, a little earlier, so we got to catch the Pandulce man, the ice cream truck, Um, some beautiful singing going by, you know. The huge plus a little extra on top. It's been a little while since we've been in the backyard. Um, Y'all know what it is. Same profanity. If you're at work or around children where you shouldn't be listening to profanity, it's probably a good time to stop listening. You cuck-ass motherfuckers. FCFC. Welcome to the FCFC pod, where two scholars and a dickhead look at the world through a black and gold tinted lens. It's your favorite Korean thicky. Slam! To my right is the bearded one, the Dweez. What up? Cross from me, stun the shades on. It's the spicy one from the East Coast. Say hello, Josh. Mm, check, please. And tonight we have a very special guest. Um, you know, it's it's kind of like the the different elements of hip-hop where, where we were bringing in different parts of the culture. We have the supporters. We have, you know, commentators that we've spoken to. And, you know, it's like our good friend and co-host here, Dweez, someone that contributes to the writing side of it. Uh, we have Andy Diosa all the way from Colombia in the backyard this evening. Hey. <laughs> Yes, sir. You know we, you're going to hey. get the air homes. <laughs> I love it. He's I got the Parse hat. You guys can't see it because it's man. we don't got the video version of this, but he's got the Parse <laughs> hat. I got the the Atletico Nacional Medellin one. I think you're Independiente, though, aren't you? Oh, so yeah, I got the rival head. shirt I on. I won't say nothing just yet. Yeah, but uh, man, Andy, you and I have been kicking it in the booth in, in the reporter world in, in old days. And I was like, man, I got to get you on the podcast. And it only took me like two years <laughs> because of a pandemic. It's kind of usually how our... Our timelines go. A little pandemic in the in the middle just kind of screwed things up. But yeah. I'm here, man. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, Long man. overdue. Thank you for coming. Uh, we usually kick off our podcast. We haven't recorded, actually. This is the first episode in like six weeks. Okay. Because we I was gone. I was in Japan and then Mexico. But uh, we usually kick it off with uh, one simple question, which is, what is your oldest football memory? Oh, man. That's a tough question. Oldest football memory. I got to say like a real, real memory. Um, since we're we're in the, on the Columbia, I guess timeline is watching the final with my grandfather, who is now dead. Rest in peace to my grandfather. But in Rhode Island, but where I'm from, um, 
we got to watch the, the game in a in a nightclub and the little the little city next to the city I'm from is a lot of Colombians. So they somehow rented the nightclub out and had the game on every TV. And this is 2004 where like that wasn't really a thing where you just like watch the games and you know in that type of atmosphere. And for it to be that packed and I was I mean 2004 I was young and I remember just watching it with him and being like so in shock of how many people were out there like cheering for either side whether it was Medellin whether it was Nacional. Um, it was just crazy. And I always remember that as like just taking a step back and being like, wow, this is cool. Like how supportive people are. Granted, you know, Rhode Island to Columbia is, is, is pretty far. So, um, yeah, I, I don't want to. It's probably not my earliest, but I think it's one of the most distinct ones at a young age that I really recall back onto. Um, and I was already a big enough fan of Medellin at the time because of my other side of the family in Colombia. But this was my mom's dad. Um, and it was to share that experience with him was was pretty crazy. So. I always remember that. So this was the this was just a, a derby. This was no, it was a final. It was a cup final. It was or the it was first the time it's ever happened, um, and since it's been the only time it's ever happened oh, where damn. they played each other in the in the final for the league. Um, and at the time, it was well, I think it still is now. Two legs, one home, one away. Uh-huh. Think about those teams as they play in the same stadium. The stadium yeah. So there is no home and away. You just change the fan bases, uh, and it was it was crazy. We won the first game two one. And then we tied the second game 0-0. So we ended so up winning the championship. So you won. Yeah. So, so it was, it was, that's it was a sweet memory on many levels. Yeah, very. And it was 2004, which was also the year of the Red Sox-Yankees uh, ALCS. Oh, so okay. So he's already, he's already bringing this… <laughs> see, this is what… Okay. This bringing is what, it full circle. You know? I was like, why don't I like that year? I was like, I have a lot of fond memories on the 2000s. This, <laughs> Hopeful. This is, you know, you got a full-blown sports reporter in here, though. He's linking you years know? between titles between sports, <laughs> insulting multiple people Beautiful. at the table in one, but sl- nicely in a good way. He's going across national territories and boundaries to claim a Boston fucking victory. We appreciate any it. New York slander that comes <laughs> along here. Wait, so the, the town you that you grew up near, yeah. what is this other town that has so many Columbus So I'm from I'm from Pawtucket. I was born in Providence, which is the, the capital. Everybody was born in Providence, basically, because Rhode Island is tiny. But Pawtucket is the ne- basically one of the cities that's on the border to Massachusetts. But in between, there's a, a city called Central Falls that is literally one square mile. That's it. It's like two streets. It's It's very tiny, but it's like... 80% Colombians over there. How did that happen? I I mean, I'm assuming back in the day when people were trying to flee the country and not get caught up in Pablo Escobar's craziness, uh, yeah. they somehow all ended up in Rhode Island in this little ass city. Um, it was cool though because like growing up, I really just grew up with all Colombians. And I, it's it's weird like being away from so many Colombians now mm-hmm. that like it was so natural to us and so normal where like all my friends were Colombians since I was a kid. And I'm like, wow, like I come to LA and I'm like, I only know a handful of Colombians out here now. It's... And it's like, it's crazy to think that in the smallest state, in the smallest city in that state is like little Columbia growing up. And it still does maintain some of that. I mean, there's a lot of Hispanic people in there in general, but yeah, it was, it was Colombia. It's always has been Colombian over there. What wow. are some things that, that now that you're in LA, you notice is missing with now the, the Colombian contingent kind of farther away? Yeah, I think, I think, I just think every person, every country, every Hispanic country is very distinct. So like, People from Mexico, people from El Salvador, whether or not you could d- distinguish who is who, you're going to, if you spend enough time with them, you're going to realize how different they are in ways of obviously language and, and culture and, and food and music and whatever. And there is obviously a bond that brings us all together when it comes to music and, and food and stuff like that. But I just think that, you know, we're so used to, you see the food that we eat, like just finding little pockets and little spots. Um, just it's, it's weird because to us, it was, like I said, it was so normal that, it was like, oh, let's go watch a Colombia game. And it's like 30 of us in the backyard. I see, I see. And it's like, hey, it's like, oh, I'm gonna watch, like, let me see if I go to the restaurant and see if they're even showing it, first of all. And then like, you know, um, and, but it's also LA. Like Rhode Island could fit in this 
state, I don't know how many times. So, or in the city rather. So, um, just that. But I think it's cool. Like being from there, I didn't really grow up around a lot of like El Salvadorians or people from Central America because it was more like Colombians, Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, stuff like that. So it's cool to really see that here because I'm like now you know I'm all in it because I was people. Oh, you know, let's go eat some Salvadorian food. I'm like I say less. I'm, I'm yeah. cool for whatever. So it's pretty dope, man. It is. I feel like there's also an abundance of football journalists that are from Colombia, like a Colombian American yeah. football journalist, right? Because yeah. you got F- Felipe Cardenas yeah, yeah, of yeah. Atleticus. He's Colombian. Yeah. And then my, our boy, John Rojas, yeah. who used to be out here. Mm-hmm. I think he's back in Boston now. Yeah, he's back somewhere. Like but he's that. also, he, I think he's also from New England or yeah. grew up partially in New England, lived in New England. Um, so there's like a contingent on that front. But one, another kind of connection here. And I think when we first met and started talking, I was like, right when LAFC was getting so many Colombian players yeah, as yeah. well, like, and I think over the years, what it's been about five, yeah, five players. Five, I believe five. Yeah. And, um, you know, they've really formed like the spine of the team at times and different things. Like, how do you feel, you know, like reflecting on kind of your earliest memories of football to like seeing how much like Colombian football actually like matters even now in this country? Um, yeah. Over time, like, how's that been for you? It's crazy to me to think that, you know, you watch players like just, you know, just watch them because they're, it's a Colombian league and you just, they're regular players to you. And then to think about a few years later, they're playing in MLS with all different types of eyes. And then now in Eduardo Tesla's case, it's down in Brazil and one of the biggest teams in South America, a player that I've watched play since like the early, you know, 2000s. Then he came up the ranks with Independiente Medellin. So it is cool to see that. Uh, obviously, Colombian soccer has always been pretty uh, popular around the world for, you know, Flair, Valderrama days and, and prior to and post. Um, but you just, it's cool to see the progression of the league in that sense. And, and for LASC doing a great job with Juan Pablo Angel, who is really the guy on the floor talking to these players, talking to these agents that he's not really just snatching just Colombian players for the sake of, Hey, let's get a South American here. Like I was just saying earlier, there's been other teams around the league that have got Colombians that have not really panned out. And I feel like LAFC has done a pretty good job taking Colombians like Eddie Segura in the, in the Colombian league, probably not as well known as you may think he was when he got here. And then, you know, you put him now in the MLS conversations as one of the best defenders in the league. Um, same thing with Chicho Arango. I'll give you Chicho. He, he was the guy over there. Like, he was hands down. You know, he was going to do great things. But Atuesta was the same way. You know, people were like, he's good. He's not great. And I'm like, nah, this kid is very good. But it's just, it, it, it's so much pressure. Um, politics. There's so much that goes into it when it's your home country. And, and you're trying to live up to this expectation where, you know, LAFC plays in front of what? 20, let's say 20-something thousand capacity at the bank. The stadiums over there are double. And, you know, when you feel that pressure of, of, you know, it's life over there. It's not just, you know, just the game, just the result. Like, they feel the pressure all over the place. So, I think it's it's kind of tough for certain players to break out. And I think the goal is always to, to go somewhere else and play better. But I think for the things that LAFC have done, even with, with Moody, um, they I think that they, they've put together a solid base, like you said. But I think it's a representation of not only what the team wants to do, but a representation of the city. As you guys know very well, there's so many different cultures out here. And I think that the way they put that team together, just it, it basically is a, re- a reflection of that. And I think that's why fans, more than anything, are so bought into to what LAFC has been doing from the beginning to now. Yeah. Do you remember when Carlos Valderrama came to MLS? Yeah, man. Yeah. So my family is from Tampa. Like the, most of my family lives down in Florida. So he was a big deal for us because, you know, he was playing in the mutiny. Um, and yeah, he's just, he's, he's one of a kind. Like he's the type of player that, you just see him and you're like, this guy's actually crazy, but it, it works. You know, like the type of stuff that he did, it works. It was the same way 
with Rene Iguita, which is the famous Colombian goalkeeper with the Scorpion save. Like some of those dudes were just wild. And and I think that's why that kind of, you know, everybody kind of has a little bit of their own style. Uh, the same way Brazil brings their own, you know, their own style to the game is kind of like ours was a certain way because of those players. So, yeah, I remember Valderrama for sure. Do you... Did he play in Europe before he came to ML? Like, where was uh, he playing man, before I that? Don't, I don't remember exactly where he was prior to, but yeah, he, he made the rounds for sure, man. He but was, he was, that that early MLS crop, he was one of probably five was, yeah, players that really, yeah. like, was the face of the league. Yeah, he was the first MVP to win, right? I think he was the first person. First he might have been the first, the, was he the first player signed I, in MLS? Yeah, some crazy like that. It was either he, him or Jorge Campos, yeah. right? But they're kind of, they fit that same role. Right, like you exactly. said, like entertaining, like, personality-driven. Um yeah, it's interesting to think about. And, you know, now you, you had followed the league then. Had you gone to game? Did you watch him play? Did you no, see Valderrama no, play no, at, at Mutineer or did you go? Unfortunately, didn't get to see him play. I did go to a few Revs games early on, like when it was still prior to Gillette Stadium. Um, but Where did it, they play before? It was it was still there, but it just used to be called like Foxborough or whatever oh, it was the, called before. The old yeah. Patriots Stadium. The old Patriots Stadium, yeah. Um, and I just think that like it's in Boston, New England itself, you know, there's so much passion for the Red Sox and the Celtics and, and the Patriots and stuff like that. Like the Revs always were on the back seat, and I think they're still fighting with that now. But you just see it progressively getting better. So I did, you know, going as a soccer fan, being able to go to the game, and be like, oh, this is dope. But no, I didn't. I mean, honestly, like before that, the most I jumped to MLS games like seen as soon as I got here because I'm like, oh, this is you know. Even when I was like living in Connecticut, the closest would have either been going back to Boston or going down to New York to see uh, the Red Bull, I guess, at that time. So. Um, now, but it, I think it's it's something to be said how like a team teams have sustained you know that those type of models of either success like the Revs have made it to the finals they haven't won it but they've made it you know they've been able to to maintain that and and I think it just shows that if you get players you don't just have to look at American side you don't have to just look at South America there's just like the, it's players everywhere but I think it's crazy how these teams are able to manifest what they want and go grab players and and they're like elite talent that people are like yo like how did they find these guys but. It's, it's a credit to scouting and all that, man. Mm, 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 mm. So how did you end up... It sounds to me, and maybe I guess this is a good question to ask, is, is football, is soccer like the sport of your heart? Like, is it the one you love the most, even though, you know, you follow the Red Sox, you follow the Celtics, you follow these other teams? Like, is this the one that speaks to you the strongest? Most definitely. I think uh, just just as a Colombian, it's, it's part of, you know, part of the DNA, part of the culture. Uh, since I was young, I would always go to Colombia often. My mom would send me to go with my dad's side of the family who who lives down there and uh just just learning little by little and they even to the day they kind of laugh they're like oh you're like the biggest Medellin fan in the family and they're like you don't even live here and I'm like yeah because I've been following them from afar and I think that when you follow teams from afar you kind of grow more of that appreciation for them so I think just growing up that way uh just made me like a, a super big soccer fan and and I think that there was a time that I was like you know I was I was working in hockey in Boston I was I was working in a lot of different sports but there was also a sense of like, man, like soccer, it would be so dope to like be able to do something with soccer, um, you know, any any type of like career related stuff. And luckily it came to pan out the time that it did in the perfect time uh, in a perfect place like L.A. So I'm definitely grateful for it. But it's always been number one from the beginning. I mean, for Slim, myself and Dweez, like the, we definitely understand what you mean by like supporting from afar and loving from afar. Like I think a lot of our first, you know, loves for football comes from like the Premier League or La Liga. And it's kind of been like a seesaw for me where I'm like, the more I get involved with the LAFC and understand what kind of impact we can have in the local community, the less I feel attached to a city 
in England and Manchester I've never seen before, right? And so, Dweez, I know you've been to to London many times, and you've seen you know you've seen the Arsenal only in many once, different... only once, only oh, okay. once. Yeah, I thought in many different variations, but I guess there's only once. But for you, was there is there kind of like um this like global like fan connection here in between Colombia and the states where you feel like linked up, or did you have to try that much harder to be like? I'm going to be insane about this because I love it so much. And because I can't have it, it feels that much better. No, nah, I think there is. I just think that it's a turn. It's a, it's a problem of, I think accessibility. And we were talking about the, the Apple TV stuff and all that. Like, I think it's just the, the ways that you could try to find these games. is hard to follow, which is why I was saying earlier, I was so shocked in 2004 where half of this technology right. didn't no, exist. That's crazy. It yeah. took over this damn club and it was on every screen. And I think that, that's the issue both ways. Like, it's hard for us to be able to watch games that are happening in Colombia. And in Colombia, it's hard for them to watch games that are happening here. So I think that there's a little bit of that disconnect when it comes to that. But to your point, like, if you're passionate about it, if you have players that, you know, somebody who's a Chicharango fan from back in the day knows that he's coming to L.A., coming to MLS, they're going to naturally follow him. Even if they're not able to watch his games, probably keep tabs on what he's doing. Yeah you know, how the team is doing, things like that. And I think that that's just universal, right? Anywhere, and if you have that love for the sport, it's going to be that way. But to, to that point, like having players from all over the place, I think it just keeps building that interest because the way that MLS was perceived, let's say 10 years ago, probably around the world is not the way it's perceived now. For sure not in Colombia. I could say that for a fact. So I think that it keeps growing in that sense. We got to find that IT guy from 04 to understand how the hell he got the connection. Dude, that's like, a rig. I was just crazy. thinking that. I was just like, damn, this tiny town. Like, yeah. It like, it's, there's some parallels to like Korean folks. And it really literally <laughs> means like some some guy knew a guy whose uncle like ran KBS from Korea. And like they like were making a trip stateside and they brought like a hard wire yeah. or some shit like that. Like broadcasting rights and viewing rights are expensive it's, for a fucking reason. Yeah, right? That's why it happens like that. But no, it's just nuts to think about, man. Especially in that club scenario. Why? Right? Why? So, have you been been to the Derby in Medellin before? So, I have, have you seen those two teams play live? Not uh-huh. been able to see them play live because I. So, I usually go to the stadium with my dad, and he uh, he doesn't like to go to those games because he says they get too too aggressive. And I get it. Um, the times that I have been there haven't lined up to to see them play against each other. Um, I've seen them. I've seen Nacional play on occasion, and I've obviously seen plenty of Medellin games. But um, I, I just think that it's. It's one of those things where, you know, you, you see it here, you see it everywhere with rivalries. It, it has a, a little bit sense of, of nastiness. Um, some of it passes a certain extreme, and, and that's historically been the case in Colombia. So I get why he doesn't want to go. I am not that way. Like, if I'm there during the— I'll tell you this. I'll, this is a good story. Uh, right now is the playoffs in, in Colombia, and the way they do it is two groups. It's group A, group B, four teams in each group. And instead of doing, like, a quarterfinal, like, bracket-type style, what they do is every team plays home and away against everybody in that group. The winner of those two groups play the final. Nacional is in Group A, Medellin's in Group B, which is ironically always the case, right? Just in quotations, <laughs> allegedly. They can never be in the same group. And they haven't played in the final since 04. And basically, Nacional was, is one, basically one step in, one step out right now of the final. Medellin had to play Sunday against Tolima at home. Medellin had not lost a home game all year. All they needed to do was win this game, and they were basically in the final themselves. And it would have happened. And of course, Medellin loses Sunday playing with a man extra for 45 minutes. But basically, I say that to say, like, if they find out what happened, I was on a flight this weekend to go to Colombia and watch both games there. So, um, like, I, I want to go just to experience it. And if it would have been a final, it would have been crazy. But 
it does get it does get nasty sometimes, which is unfortunate because you know at the end of the day it's just a game. But yeah, uh, one day I'm gonna get to the stadium and see those two teams play for sure. So I I, I saw Nacional play twice. I saw them play Millonarios and I saw Huge them play. Uh, yeah, that's like you know the big. Yeah, they yeah. call that like the big one in Colombia, right? Yeah, Not the one in the city. Yeah. But it was like so my 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 shock about going to Colombian football versus I've been to games in Argentina and Brazil as well. Um, it was so much tamer in a good way in the stands. Way more women. Yeah. Way more like younger kids. In because I was in the Zona Sur or Zona Sur. Yeah, yeah like the, the I was in. I went to the fucking. Yeah. yeah of course. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So I went. <laughs> I went down there, and I didn't know anything, and I'm just an idiot, like gringo, whatever. <laughs> My buddy was with me, and like we got taken in by like a crew and they loved right. us right if you love the team of sure. wherever you are they're gonna love you course, right like it's you're not gonna go wrong and it, it, it was fun for them too you know and i i didn't know a lot about colombian football a few players here and there before i you know i went down there i was there for three months but um it it was so shocking man how like positive and like nice people yeah. were in the stands and that's like my lasting memory i think i've mentioned it on the podcast before yeah. um like when i was in brazil you know, I, I I went to Vasco and Flamengo and Vasco is my team there and I went to several games there and you just did not see like women and younger kids there and it was like so much more stressful and Argentina wasn't even in the ballpark <laughs> yeah, of either wild. of those two, right? They're like wild. Brazil is kind of in the middle and I'm not saying, look, I've not been to every single team, every single league over many, many years. I can't say like this definitively, but it did strike me how like pleasant it was to go. It was very intense and there was it was very like passionate still yeah, but yeah. there was like the dial was lower and people sure. seem and that maybe that's just like a reflection of Medellin in general I feel like that vibe I got in the city itself but yeah did, do you feel that way like do you notice those differences have you been to other games in like Latin America yeah no that's that's 100% accurate what you said I think it's a reflection of Medellin and Colombia in itself the way that it's changed throughout the years um I think that it kind of it kind of plays on in, in those soccer games um before let's say like 10 12 years ago like <laughs> if there's a, a game like you know, Meiji Nacional, where, where it's the same stadium, same fan base, they used to have to basically just allow one fan base to go in. They wouldn't allow both fan bases to be there the same way you see naturally in, in rivalries where you'll get your section. Um, that changed now. Now now they're allowing both. But it's just that trajectory that, like, it, 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 there's so many things that have happened in the past, um, you know, prior to just just fans, you know, when it's talking about drug money and, and fixing games and revs getting killed and stuff like that, that I think all of that has morphed it to be what it is now where it's it's more of a family oriented thing. I mean, like you said, there's still crazy things that happen. Yeah. Like, fan bases go hard. Like for example, okay, the same crew that I was with, right? Uh well, I went to two games with them. Yeah. These these are just local local guys that I met. Um after one of the games, I was like at a bar with them and they're like, hey man, like we've always got this is, you know, we got you, you know, you're like one of us. Like you're and I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. Like that's all take more shots of agua diente and call it, you know? And he's like, no, no, I really got you. And he like taps me on the shoulder and he just like shows me a pistol in his pocket. <laughs> in his, in his, and I'm like, I'm like, it's fine. Like nothing's going to happen. Like we're all just chilling. But it is like, there is the edge, like the edge is there. But like what, it's like, I'm not, I'm not naive, right? Yeah. You know, I know how things can get in certain parts of the world. Uh, you know, I've lived, I lived in a favela in Brazil. You know, I understand how it works, but at the same time, it's like the edge on the surface was like so much smoother and like people were so much kinder. And I, for better or worse, didn't feel any sort of danger like the whole time, the way that maybe I had in those other countries. And That's all, good, though. That's all I'm good. saying is like for people who fucking go visit Colombia, like go to a game. Yeah, like no, where I, maybe maybe I wouldn't necessarily say that about, right. you know, go to a game with caution in some yeah, of those other yeah. places. But like for for 
for especially Medellin. I've, I've not been to Bogota. Maybe yeah, it's different yeah. in Bogota. But um, yeah, it sounds like the culture of it has like they're kind of in OG mode, right? Yeah. Where it's like we've been through it. We don't need yeah, to right. be all fucking loud and huffing and puffing. Oh, we're ready in case you need it. Yeah. <laughs> this might be an oversimplification, but do you think that like all of Medellin is in OG mode? Yeah, because yeah. they've yeah. actually been, sure. been in the trenches. Sure. Yeah, do you, sure. do you feel that way? A thousand like, percent. I think like it's just changed. So it changed. I go basically every year and it changes from, you know, last time I was there was just in December. I'll be there next month. It's probably going to be completely different then. Like, it's changed so much over the years in terms of technology, innovation, things like that, that all the other stuff, I think, takes a back seat, right? And if you say the name Medellin around the world, you're going to, a lot of people are going to have a, a first thought and it's going to be, you know, what it is. Bob. Drugs, Pablo, whatever. But that keeps changing. And what that happens, you know, the games, the stadium, the the culture, like, it's, I, I, I used to say when I was younger, I would go, with like family from Florida who a lot of my cousins don't speak that much Spanish or don't speak Spanish that well. And we used to be told, oh, don't speak English in the streets. Like don't wear watches, things like that. Now I go to Colombia with like my friends from here, like people that don't know Spanish at all. Like they're out there just chilling, Google translate on their phone. Like it's night and day. And I think you're right. Like the, the city itself, because it's been through so much stuff is that probably at a point right now that it's kind of like, yo, we could be an example. And I think a lot of people in Colombia do see it in terms of, you know, the Metro, that, that no other city has transportation the way that Medellin has and it continues to grow. Um, there's been a lot of arguments about using the stadium in Medellin as the, the home field for the Colombian national team, which is a whole different debate too. But I think just all that that's all encompassing and, and what you said, the people there, the way that they are. And yeah, I mean, there's still people alive, the old folks, my grandparents and, and their friends that went through those days, like lived through that. Like they're, they're not, those are the people that like to go to the stadium and be like, yo, this is our team. We like to just go and support yeah. and chill. Like, so yeah, people are definitely in OG mode for sure. You brought up the Metro. I think the Metro is like a really interesting symbol. If I remember right, like I think it was completed at least the first phase during the worst years, yeah, right? Yeah. And it wasn't kind of like an example of like, things are horrible here. And we just built like the most advanced yeah. Metro system in South America. Yeah. And it's like, if you ride the Metro, I don't know if it's still like this, but when I was there, I, when I was there in 2015, but you don't see, like, it's so clean. It's the cleanest it's, thing it's ever. It's <laughs> astonishingly clean because it's almost like a symbol of civic yeah, pride. Yeah, yeah. Like people know, they don't tag it up. They don't, uh, it's just like very nice. And you ride that train system and it takes you to like kind of the key arteries in Medellin. And there's also like, ways you can ride these metro cables on the side if you need to go up the hills which is also like pretty novel yeah, I, now I know there's like three yeah they've just they're building i think another one i'm like it's crazy so you can ride so where chicho arango is from he's in kamuna um right yeah so he's up one of the metro cables yeah, yeah, basically yeah, yeah. um and like you can take it as public transportation like it's like a ski chairlift like a gondola yeah. basically up the hill but it's public trans and it's really nice and it like is. really efficient it you is. don't have to hike your way up like these huge hills to get to you know to get to where you live so you know that was always like stuck out in my mind and you know i having lived in rio before and then visiting buenos aires like i was just like damn this is like absurd like how is way nicer than the trains we have here in la yeah yeah, yeah. it is wild and and i think that a city like that is very similar to LA when it comes to traffic and transportation. Like it gets very congested. There's so many people in Medellin that when the metro, the metro and the metro cables are like always in use. Like you never see it empty. Very rarely, like people that are taking the metro cable to get up to you know up the mountains are you know night and day. And the metro it goes from the north of the city to the south of the city. It's like those things are always busy. That it, it kind of gets annoying at a point because you're like, damn, I thought this was gonna be easier. Well, you're in there scrunched up, but it is a lot faster sometimes. And being on the on the 
in traffic in a car. But you can also do cool shit. Like I got my little like Civica card yeah, and yeah. I can, you can rent a bike oh, for yeah, free, yeah, like all, all around shit, the city. Yeah. Like here, if you do the same shit, like this, I, I <laughs> remember like coming back, yeah, right? <laughs> I, I remember coming back so furious <laughs> that I'm like, are you telling me that I had to go into an office? I had to wait like maybe five minutes in line at, at the Civica office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not even a citizen of Medellin uh, or, or a citizen of Columbia rather. And I wasn't, I didn't have a resident card or anything. I was just like there and I registered with my passport Five minutes later, I got this card and I can rent a bike basically anywhere in the city, drive it to anywhere else. And as long as you don't keep it for like yeah. more than whatever the time limit is, 40 minutes, an hour, it's free. Solid. And it's free for everyone. And here, if you ride the fucking Metro <laughs> bikes, the LA city Metro bikes ends up being like $5 yeah. to go from like, you know. And so it just, it astonishes me. And I know that they like got awarded like the city of innovation at yeah, one point, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, there's like different tech things that are happening there. I went to like a book festival there. Medellin's so fucking sick. Yeah. Like I think it's the most, of, of the cities I've lived in, um, like it's like the most livable, like it's the most friendly yeah, for you to live yeah. there, like come live here. City of the Eternal Spring and all that, but um, I don't know, I could talk about Medellin forever. I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> now I'm just rambling, I have, no, I have no question, no follow up to that. I just, I'm just, uh, my eyes are, grow, are, are like, you know, sparkling as I, as I remember my days <laughs> We'll there, get more into Medellin in the next segment. Okay, we'll get Let's more. Let's do that. Let's take, yeah, take, take, a, first take break. a first break. Slim's, Slim's is the one, you know, pulling me back. I should be the other way around. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, take a, we'll take a break and we'll be right back with you guys. We're back here, FCFC Pod segment two. Josh Bice's segment officially, officially, officially. For those, almost, almost. We're here with with our good friend um, Andy Duoza with bylines, bylines, bylines in Nesson. Uh, oh, let's bylines in the worldwide leader ESPN. Get it, and also currently at Yahoo. Correct. Yes, sir. Yeah, and I want to ask. I mean. Dweez is the the big sports journalist in my life. Whoa, bro! <laughs> or was that's just a hat that I wore? <laughs> yeah, times. it's it's a it's a hat. I put it in my closet for now. But he's <laughs> such a unique like the way that he writes about sports is very much I think um like I I I grew up reading a lot of Bill Simmons stuff right yep. and like just the 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 homerism that goes into it the love you have for it right that I think is really be like the way that Dweez and us met was like he was writing um a little piece on each supporter group that was kind of helped the founding of LAFC. And like I'm sure it was it was like a 500 word brief. He came back with like a 15,000 word like beautiful like love Art. letter to Los Angeles. Yeah. Like I was finding things about my ethnicity I didn't know before, you know. But that's why I I, I have this really um, subjective, powerful voice in my corner for to to rep journalism yeah. on my head. And that's I see this this guy in my head. And as someone who covers a lot of soccer in this city. Um, and with so many Colombian pre- players present here, is there, do you even aim for a sports objectivity? Is there, a, can you, can you weigh that when so many of our prime players, like we're talking about the Atuestas, the Chicho Rangos of the world, the Eddies of the world, like, do you weigh that? Do you, how do you balance that? Or do you just kind of complete, like, be like, this is a Colombian project for me. This is a big part of my, my own narrative as a Colombian American person, like to be, to write for these guys. Like, how do you kind of navigate that journey of writing for a team that has so much, such a strong Colombian presence? That's a good question, man. I think for me, it was like, make a relationship with these guys first, right? And it actually started with, with Atuesta. I was the first one, um, which was funny because he was like the first big story I wrote about 
And it was like, I have this idea. Um, I know this player. I want to like put something out there that kind of like make, gives him a little shine, right? Because I knew he was going to be good. And this was early 2019 where, you know, LAFC was ripping the league apart. So I was like, this is going to be perfect. And I, I just like, you know, spoke to the team and said, hey, I'm going to go to the training ground, to Performance Center and, and talk to him for a bit. And we just chopped it off for like 20 minutes and it was just a conversation. And I'm like, all right, cool. And it was all in Spanish. So I think that that part just makes them, you know, obviously feel a lot more comfortable, uh, relatable, you know, me telling him, hey, this is where I come from. This is, you know, my background. Um, and the story was cool because it ended up being an angle of like him saying that he wants to be the best midfielder in MLS and then him actually going to do yeah, that. That's awesome. <laughs> so it panned out perfectly. I actually, prophecy, 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 yeah, prophecy, right. Prophecy, prophecy, I actually prophecy. knew Max from ESPN. So I actually sent it to him when I wrote it and he kind of like gave it a shout out. Um, on the on the LAFC podcast. So that was yeah. like my first like story I wrote, which like big story I wrote. And it was crazy because it was like an idea like you're mentioning about being uh, about a Colombian and, and him wanting to, you know, like I said, be be the best midfielder in the league. But I think for the other guys, I didn't I didn't want to repeat that, you know, like I didn't want to be like, I'm going to now let me go talk to, you know, Eddie Segura and try to make him, uh, you know, make him pop or stuff like that. Not that I made that pop. He was going to do it on his own. But it's about building that relationship. Right. And seeing seeing them at you know at practice or seeing them after the games, talking to them like they they remember you they recognize you. Uh, Chicho, I actually saw him in Medellin over the over the winter break <laughs> like twice. Yeah, how, yo, did, that, how did that happen? Hey, it was crazy, yeah, crazy. Tell us the tale. Tell us the tale. <laughs> so basically, there was like a, a a game that they put together every December because a lot of the players go back home to like vacation or whatnot, mm -hmm. and um, they just like get a lot of the players that either from Medellin or that played on Medellin Nacional or whatever to come together and play like this little like charity type game, right? Um, and one of my buddies that was there was like, yo, I'm going to this game. Uh, if I, He invited me basically. I didn't know anything about it. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Like, sure, I'll go. It's December. Like people are everywhere in Colombia. Like you, it feels like being home because you see so many friends. And I'm like, sure, let's go. And I'm telling you, and I walked into this like, to this barrio, which is what we call it. I was like, what the hell is going on in here? Like the streets were shut down. Uh -huh. There were like hundreds of, mind you, this is like December pandemic is still kind of popping, like such shit like going that. Off. Right. And then like, it's just packed. Like I, it's like a straight block party. And I'm like, oh, this is crazy. But I didn't realize the magnitude of what was happening until <clears throat> I turned around and started seeing players. And I was like, oh shit, like this is Giovanni Moreno. And this is like a, a Medellin legend. I'm like, wow. And then I see Chicho come walking up and I just started <laughs> laughing. Cause I'm like, yo, like I talk to this dude in Los Angeles <laughs> all the time. And like, now he's just here imagine. I, I caught up with him quickly. Um, but it was just cool, like, because, like you're saying, like, it's it's that. So now when I see him here, it's always like, oh, yeah, like, you remember him, action, right? You really yeah. outside. Right, like, <laughs> yeah, like, he knows me from, you know, from both sides. So. The rest of these fucking journalists yeah. are going out to Columbus. They don't see me out there, right? Oh, yeah. they, they, they don't be amazing like me. Yeah, they live in the South Bay somewhere. No, but it is dope because, like, even, um, even Eddie, uh, not Eddie, uh, Jesus David Murillo, like, two weeks ago, I was leaving the press conference and I was, I said, what's up to him? But in Colombia, if you're from Medellin, your accent is very um, distinguishable, mm. like over any other one. And he looked at me like, I have talked to him before, but since everything was on Zoom, it's, you know, it's not face to face. Sure, so sure, I don't sure. think he really remembered who I was until I started talking to him. And he was like, he did like a double take. He's like, yo, did you just like get here from Medellin? And I did. I said, he started laughing because I started talking to Chicho. And he's like, yo, Chicho, like, what's up with this dude? Like, where'd he come from? And then Chicho started laughing. And that's when I saw Eddie. And it, like, it's just like I said, building that relationship. Um, with them more so like I think it's cool to see you know people Colombians flourish whatever team they're on or what you know they're just doing their thing but it's cool to see um, them just be comfortable and 
I think more so than anything, that's what I try to do. Like, if I got to be negative about him or say something about him, regardless of what happens, like, I'll do it not with malice, but do it to the point that, you know, whatever needs to be made. But I think that, uh, yeah, just establishing that relationship is super dope with them. And and just knowing that, you know, people from Colombia are out here doing their thing, man. Athletes are people too, Josh. Facts. Is what he's trying to say. <laughs> I, I, I've always advocated. No, but I, I, I mean, look, I agree with just... Yeah, it's like I don't know. I don't. I haven't reported since COVID started, so I don't know. Like, if that now is compromised because you got to do everything via Zoom, I'm yeah, sure there are new yeah. signings that you don't yeah, know quite yeah, as well because sure. you haven't been able to do stuff for in sure. person. Although I think you guys can do in person now. Now, yeah, it kind of just got back little like a little while ago, but yeah, most of it yeah. was you know for like a year and a half, maybe two, was all virtual, and it becomes tough. Like, it you know they hear your voice, but they're not like really seeing you. You're not at the, at the you know performance center talking to these players the way that you could typically. And I'm like, even from just that initial conversation I had with Atuesta back in 2019, that's when I like first met Eddie Segura too. Like, and just like started talking to them, just being there. So that type of stuff, like, you know, it gets, it's, it gets stripped from you. But um, yeah, I think that's kind of the the point of like still trying to be in the mix and, and make sure that they like remember either your voice or like your name or something like that, that when you do have that face to face, like, Oh, like I remember dude, you know, like regardless of whatever, like your career ambitions are, I think like, the, the best thing you can do as a journalist, I think in the sports world or even the music world is the only other world I know intimately. <clears throat> it's just like, yeah, developing that relationship, understanding the human, and then you're going to actually write a good piece right. that's valuable for people right. to read in some deeper level. It like, it helps everyone if you can go in person and, yeah. and you make those connections. But what's obviously, there's so many restrictions to that, even before COVID, certain you know, they're trying to like make everything, basically all the interviews will go out to everyone, right? And then no one has anything because you can't have those one-on-one conversations. You can't, like I remember in season one with Steven Betajor who like sat me down and explained like <laughs> the way winning the ball back quickly like would work and it like helped unlock things in my head sure. for like so many stories that I wrote later about how the team was basically set up and why they were able to like just inflict so much damage on teams right. and what it was actually like to experience that on the field. But you just can't do that in a Zoom conference where you get one question after the game. What was it like to score yeah, the goal in the yeah. 90th minute? Walk me through that. They're like, I hit yeah, it hard. Exactly. Hit it hard. So that's the thing I felt in sports. I mean, and you can you can riff off this, but like the thing I felt in like sports journalism world, it's like, it's almost like you're in just a robotic situation. Yeah. Until you're not, and right. you can break it with a conversation with somebody, and you can find that human piece, latch onto it, talk about something a little bit more interesting, add some depth, and that's what like I was into it for. Yeah, that's yeah. what I loved about it. But like the other stuff was like devastating sometimes. Yeah. Like how how I'm like a computer, just whatever, just put out the press release. It's all the same. You know? <laughs> yeah, and no, I, I feel that. And I think we were talking off the mic about Bob Bradley earlier, and back in those days, like were the days that you would go to the LAPC and like sit down. I remember I was. I was writing a, a, a piece on Carlos Vela eventually breaking the goal record. The problem was I wasn't going to be here for the game that he was going to break the record. I was going on vacation. So I had to basically do all the interviews like prior to. And LAFC was like, just come to the performance center. And I sat down with Bob, with Tyler Miller at the time, with Eddie, um, just with a bunch of players. And I was like, just talk to me about Carlos. Like, I don't even care about none of this other shit. Like, what do you guys do like on the plane? Like, tell me jokes. Like, tell me this and that. Jordan Harvey's telling me stuff. And it's like, those type of conversations you have is like, a, like you said, you're going to get a better story out of it every time. But B, you're going to get more of an appreciation because you start seeing it differently. And, you know, fans, you know, are going to see what's on the field. Is he a leader or not? Which is a great conversation around Carlos. But it's like you start seeing other ways and and things that they tell you internally. And you're like, oh, shit, like, yeah, this is pretty cool. So I think that, yeah, you you do get stuck in the, I guess, the mundane aspect of like, 
game results record championships but it's like there's so much to be told and i think that's the fun part because like whatever you really want to tell you could you just got to find the way to approach it right you got to find the angle a, a cool angle and then kind of just go at it that way and if we, if we can like big up the man who's who's still who's still writing and like <coughs> and the value of like the writing part i think is also that if you can have these conversations and they're not on camera, right? Like how many of us have watched a sporting event and afterwards there's an athlete talking to the sideline reporter and it's just like cringeworthy. Like you yeah, want to yeah. die. Like you hate the questions <laughs> that they're ask, asking. You hate the way the athlete's asking it. They both don't want to ask those questions Anything either. Is possible. <laughs> like it's just so, you know, and of course there's always like sports stars who like break out of that mold or whatever and it can be entertainment. But it's hard, I think, to find like when you're in those sort of like yo-yo-y routine conversations to find anything interesting and i have always felt you know the writing part offers like look i've just have i have a recorder here or i don't even have a recorder right. and i'm just going to record and you trust me enough to to write your quotes yeah. down and we're just going to talk for a little while and i'm going to turn that around and now you can find something you could have like a real conversation that's not maybe they're going to say something you guys are going to have an exchange that uh cuts through some of that which often like can be so frustrating i think as like viewers to read so big ups to fucking print journalism even if it's not printed it's Let's printed it, on baby. the goddamn digital spaces write shit take off your fucking phones and your tiktoks slim come on come and write some open a newspaper us, open, <laughs> open a, a newspaper paper. hey come on down to the library kids that deadlines and word counts baby let's get it I, I know it's season five and we were just talking about i don't want to skip this beat on that article you wrote on carlos in season two because we're still discussing yeah what kind of leader yeah, is your leader sure. carlos vela um what what did you take away from that that point in time, and has your has your understanding of that evolved at all from from the newer players that have come in? Because that's as supporters, I think we we're always Wait, rationalizing. Are we, are we that. talking about a football pod now, Josh? Are we getting into? Well, the we're talking about the, football. We're talking about the headspace of football, yeah, not okay, necessarily okay, on the pitch okay. stuff. Man, yeah, so, what does it even mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm fucking Vince is always like, there's no hard points in, in soccer. There's no, <laughs> there's no. He didn't try try hard enough. He he didn't have the balls to do it. And I was like, no. yes, there is. Yeah. fucking Vince. Fuck out of here with that bullshit. <laughs> I told Vince, I was like, we gotta strap these guys with another heart monitor, lie detector uh, style, and just right. fucking get hard points as a fucking stat. Has to be some analytics. Has to be some analytics exactly. behind that shit. I think that uh, Carlos is a unique player, and then Dweez knows. Obviously, Dweez wrote a wrote a dope piece at, in, oh, in yeah. his time too. And my, was, my day, yeah. back in back in two thousand nine, the before time. Oh, no, but I think that was that was telling for a lot of people to see, like, just kind of get a little bit of the inside scoop on 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 a player that people don't know much about. I think that uh, obviously in the beginning things are very sweet, right? Like you're the guy, you're the first player, like you're you know this is this is all you right here. Like you're gonna. You're gonna be great, and that that year he was 2019. Everything was amazing, but things change quickly in sports, man. Like all it takes is one season, not even sometimes half of a season, for things to to be you know trending in the wrong direction. I think after pandemic, after uh, MLS is back, things obviously weren't looking great. And I think to to hit, to his point, you're kind of just like, what what's left? Like what's next for me? Like I, do, I he obviously does want to win MLS Cup because that's what he says every time he speaks. The, the few times that he does speak, and I do believe him. Like obviously. You know, he and I think he's very capable of that. But when those injuries start weighing you down and there's so much different conversation around it, I think, you know, it's fair for people to to kind of judge and, and, and kind of question maybe leadership roles, maybe interest. Then you get all the other stuff like, oh, he's not like posting online on Instagram, shit like that. That's like there's there's certain lines that, that people look into to to kind of justify what they think. I just think that he's a very close minded player. He's not really trying to be in terms of like the media, like he's not really trying to be out there and be flashy. I don't think he ever was. Um, 
But I think within the team, there's no problems. I don't think that anybody in the organization on the field really has an issue with with how he is. Uh, I think if you see him like personally on in the training grounds, like he's he's what you expect from him. He's Bob. The one thing Bob always used to love saying about Carlos is like you just have to watch this guy at practice. Like, right. and it's like people want to see that in the games, but it's not obviously not the same thing. But like he's that type of player, like that type of special player. So I think that I think that he's a leader. Maybe just people think leaders are vocal and and that's not always the case. Leaders don't always have to be vocal. I think that's a, a great uh, characteristic for you to have as a leader, which is maybe why they're bringing somebody like who they are bringing in to have that that vocal um, leadership. But I think that he has it. Uh, it's just, it's, it's health. If you can't be on the field, the best ability is availability. If you can't be on the field, man, then uh, people are going to start turning on you and things are going to start turning on you. So Right, right, right. I mean, I, I mean, God forbid that we stick on footy for another another <laughs> five minutes as an FCFC podcast. But I do think we owe the listenership. Like, this is the week of Chiellini. Yeah. Can't we just talk about Kendrick Lamar for another two hours? <laughs> I'm down for People that, too. People love that shit, too. People love that shit, too. They're actually waiting for, uh, like, we have to review the album. But uh, wait, it's still it's still too early. <laughs> but, okay, let's let's talk about this. I think even after... Um, who was the Japanese team we played? And, yes, that was on that team. That was Vissel Kobe. Vissel Kobe. Kobe. Yeah. Carlos like many other DPs in the MLS, is on a different orbit than the other MLS players. When other big international players come to LAFC or even um, LAFC plays another, you know, another DP of, of similar standing, like they and Carlos always have an interaction because I think they're in similar levels of fame. You know, right. like that fame unlocks certain things to you, which to me, I think Giorgio, Giorgio and Carlos will understand each other on a like, we've been the most famous person in the fucking room for the last 20 years kind of thing, right? For sure. Kielina, like he's in the lock, full locker room full of those guys. But now we talk about the non-vocal, like, you know, hopefully if I stay on the field, I, I show you. And like, I, I, I know when Carlos is really ripping it, like the players around him play really like hard for him yeah, to yeah. make, to get up to his level. Kielini, while always also proving on the field is has been the, the the voice of that Italian back line for the last 15, 20 years, right? Like, how do you think they'll mesh together, Dweez? Like, what do you think that that experiment comes together? Like, in in your sports, put your sports biographer <laughs> hat put on, hat right? Back on. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is a that big... hat's got so much dust right now, and I love it. In <laughs> this the is a big junction of, uh, of no, LAC so, history, right? Of the story that well, you're like, you know what the first thing I thought when you started talking about this? I'm like, well, like, what is a leader on like a soccer pitch actually? Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, the, it Good starts question. to raise new questions. And I think, for better or worse, I do think about myself when I play. And I think about Hell like yeah. what I think of while I'm playing and whether or not there really is someone on the field that can like, lift me up right. and like make and, and the truth is no not really like it's helpful instructive wise like okay so pierce maher yeah i don't, yeah, know, yeah. If, I don't know if andy P. knows pierce but a lot of people know pierce pierce has been on the pod before pierce Love is a coach P. of youth right like yeah, he coaches yeah, yeah. but i've also played with him a lot and he's like a coach on the field right yeah, yeah. so he's constantly played center back he's like dictating in that role i think positionally standing in the center of the defense and facing you know even more than a goalkeeper which is sometimes a little ways further back and you can only really talk to your back line like mechanically. Yeah. But if you're in the center back role and you have like <clears throat> this mobility to sort of like instruct, I think that that offers a different sort of leadership than someone who's playing at the top of the field and is sort of mostly concerning themselves with scoring goals. So it's just kind of a different sort of leadership. And I am curious to see, you know, time will tell like what it's like knowing, knowing they're both on the field. Like what I was bringing up earlier before we started recording was just like the value that he adds in terms of like, leadership, I think, is more to do with how often he's won major titles 
then the authority that he has is something that LAFC has never even been like in the same room with as a new club with football people who have been exciting and interesting and good and never, but they've never been title winning serial winners. We can say, okay. And this is this in sports. I don't know enough about those other sports in football. Like you notice that titles follow people like magnets, like certain people collect titles and they just have so many titles. Others like may never win one or they maybe win one in their career. And that's sort of it. I I've always felt that there's just like certain players that just keep winning and to have that is a sort of different different kinds of leadership in addition to all like the personal you know differences and but I think the positionality of a leader on the on a pitch is important too as well as the personality so yeah. it's a lot it's a lot more like murky I don't think we could make a list of what is the best leader you know it's it doesn't work like that I don't think it's like as mathematical as that I think it's more art than science right I mean let's let's play I mean this is fun so let's play a little armchair armchair Set like psych, was an armchair therapist, armchair psychology <laughs> expert here for a second. But knowing Carlos's personality, as we kind of do now a little bit, would you say that if Chiellini starts ten of the remaining games, well, this all assumes that like Carlos and Chiellini will be playing together. Okay, no, yeah, this <laughs> right? is this like, is that's it. not get ahead of ourselves either. On that, but yeah. hey, don't, don't cheat me out of a take here, <laughs> Jesus. What are we going to talk about? Injury reports now, Jesus. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Cooking with gas, baby. Okay, let's go. Let's go. Keeling and Carlos share the field for 10 games where they're both starting together. Does Carlos with his personality is, would he be very comfortable with Keeling and calling the shots from back there and being, becoming the vocal, the the voice of the team. So Carlos can cook in the front front lines. A thousand percent, man. I think uh, that's like, I think that's the perfect situation for Carlos. Right now. Cause he's like, yo, do you, do you think you like get these guys in line? I'm just going to try to go score and, and keep it <laughs> exactly. moving. And it's like, it's two distinct positions two distinct personalities that I think it definitely fits well when you're somebody that's uh, as animated as Kalini playing in the back line and somebody like Carlos that's like, yo, like I just need to get these these front attackers in, in order. I think that would ideally, in an ideal perfect world, which is probably what Thornton and company are thinking, like, yeah, that, that definitely could work out. I mean, to put, it, to put on my Stephen A. Smith hat, <laughs> fucking hot take hat on right now, it'd be like if Carlos was a more vocal leader, Diego would have actually given a shit until he was transferred instead of what the fuck we got from Diego before Ooh. he was. I don't know. I mean, that's just... That, you, but now you're just dealing with such abstractions and like... But I guess that's what we, exactly, this is what, this is where we thrive, man. Okay, okay. The, the culture podcast. Ifs. Yeah, the, the what ifs. Yeah, that's... Like, he's your attacking partner. Like, I think there is certain... Like, they were... Diego was the only one who could be on his level for, but for a good time. I think that Diego's lack... Like, the reason that that all happened had a lot more to do with, like, the pandemic and a pending sale and, like, probably, like, a general you know, malaise that affected mm. most people on and off soccer fields um, than it did like, you know what I'm, That assumes that there's like a possibility that there's a type of leader that could like muscle you through a pandemic and like, but, and then you could yeah, say yeah. like, is that, but shouldn't that what real leaders do? But at the same because time- Because we've, like, but we've seen evidence of that. Do we, right? We? Like the the Keens and Vieiras of the world, right? We've, we've watched these guys- I, know, with, I never saw, I never saw Roy Keane like lift somebody <laughs> up after the pandemic and when they were expecting to be sold. We're going to get through this playing, Ebola while they, playing, <laughs> wait, while they were playing for an MLS team with empty stadiums, you know? Like, you don't think that- No, that, but- Okay, yeah, no, you're, you're, no, no, I think no. you're being- I, I, I'm, you're, actually, you're, yeah, you're going I'm actually more on Spice's side. Okay, There's, surprise, surprise. <laughs> As a lead, like- I gave you. I gave you Vieira, actually. Jesus, I could have just stuck it with Queen, with the fucking team But let's be honest, I've said this from the beginning is Vela isn't, like he's not a leader because he's like 
taking the initiative. He's just like the best guy on the team, right? He's a happy-go-lucky like his personality is kind of like a happy-go-lucky stoner. Right? I'm just I'm just going to do my thing. I don't want to deal with whatever bullshit you guys got going on. I respect it. I respect yeah, it. Yeah, like yeah. I'm just like I'm here because I'm good at this shit. Like you guys figure it out. Like catch up. Not not in like such an arrogant way, but like he's I don't know if he has the capacity to micromanage and like care enough about the other things. He's just like I'm just here to play football because it's fun and I'm good. But the okay now going back to position. He's got that dog. Going back, to, <laughs> got that dog going back to positionality for yeah, a second. Yeah. Talk um, to me, Dweez. Give Pat- me some. Patrick Vieira and Roy Keane and where they were on the field and like the mechanics of someone who's working in the middle of the park. Also, I mean, like now come to think of it, I would challenge everyone here to think of a really vocal, loud, like excellent, strong in the classic word of the word, uh, forward player captain. Drogba. Captain. <laughs> but it, it doesn't easily come to mind, does it? Like, it, I'm not saying they don't exist, yeah, yeah, yeah. but we weren't all like here with four answers. But to that, that that even gives more to credence of what Spice was saying about like Diego Rossi's last stand, like last bit of time here, is because you don't have that stability of like a captain, and it's not supposed to be in the front and whatever. Like, it's especially for young players, mm-hmm. like the mental is is the biggest thing, right? Like. That can make or break any of these young players. Like the reason why these young players are so great is because they're so ignorant to the fact of like how limited their skill set is like to this point, right? They just want to fucking fly. Yeah. Right? I don't know. We're we're supposing so many things. I'm curious to hear his. <laughs> yeah, give me. Thing. I love this. This is supposing um, in this like strange hypothetical universe we're talking about. Yeah, I don't know, man. I I, I think Diego's case was pretty unique. Like like Dewey's is saying. Um, I think there was a certain point that he checked out that that people either did or didn't realize. Um, but there was all like he was at a point that he was pretty solid too with with Carlos. And I think that um, I just think that they hit they hit a they plateaued. Man, that 2019 season like it it, it was like it everything was there for the take. And I think the way they lost to Seattle uh, at the bank was was demoralizing. And I think that they just after what, what happened with the pandemic and stuff like that, things just never, like, they probably felt like that was, like, their best chance. Because even talking to the players that year, like, Carlos, every time Carlos would speak, he was always talking about how much he loved Mark Anthony K. Atuesta, blessing midfield, how easy they made his job. Uh, Diego, obviously, with the assist, you know, they just had everything going for them. And, and the fact that they weren't able to win the cup, I think that that kind of all brought them down um, in, in a lot of ways. And I think that that kind of had to do with that. But... But then they know, had man. the redemption of of Concacaf Champions League, and they almost had won that. But then even that was kind of even a weird that was tournament. weird. Yeah, and that was a weird tournament because yeah. there was no fans, and then right. the, the Mexican teams came in, and like all the people were like, "Yeah, but we beat three Mexican teams in Rio, and we're three. like." But it's also like, "Yeah, but those were like weird circumstances." Yeah. And would they have won the same way? And like that's why I think sports hypotheticals are both fun and ridiculous For sure. because oh, yeah. they, they start going. You could, you could break it down every yeah. which way you want. But yeah, back Steve, to the Stephen point, A. Smith has made a whole <laughs> career over that. Yeah, but back to the point of leadership, like in general, I think that that's like one of the strangest topics it gets talked about a lot and people love uh like reading articles about it or Uh like asking questions about it but like again i go back to like i'm curious to know like of the bosses you've worked with or you know like the features of like a leader that made you want to like run through a wall for your boss or like do have you had that experience before or in in times where like a boss like didn't do that and yeah, I've had I've probably easy, had one boss. And yeah. was it easy for you to like identify with like what exactly they should have done differently that would have motivated you? And had that been different from like your colleagues? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, it's so cliche, but I think about all the sports fucking cliches of like leadership. Like my boss knew when the right time to put an arm around me and be like, <laughs> hey, you, you can be okay. He knew when to kick my ass when, you know, when, when I needed my ass kicked because I wasn't living up to my potential. Like that shit, I feel like leadership, like enterprise car rentals hire, hire so many um, base level employees who are former D1 athletes because they believe there's some kind of mentality that goes into sales and all that stuff. Right. I think there's, there's, there's something, if that's part of a company ethos and a company policy, like let's get as many D1 athletes in this, in this building as possible. Like I think, I do think the game of sports and you guys definitely to my, to my left and my to right have played the games way longer than I have like in fucking little league. But I do think there is an understanding of like good leadership on any medium will, will make the product better. will make the players better, you know? And I think, it, it could be a quiet leader, right? That, that, that makes a step up. It just has, maybe that's anecdotally not for me. Um, I think the fun thing about hypotheticals or why we're making hypotheticals is that we haven't won. That's why we make <laughs> hypotheticals, right? We can, we, we can get second guess as many times as we want. Cause we didn't fucking win a chip in 2019 or in CONCACAF. So it's, that's, that's where we're at. You know, it's, it's un, the unfortunate fact that's interesting to hear like that the players too felt like that was the year yeah. that that was the cap. For Cause sure. like that also weighs on a roster construction. Absolutely. Right? And I think that well, was now most of them are gone. As yeah. Well. I, was, I think that was in the back of their mind too, knowing that like that window was going to eventually close. Right. Like that, that was what Thornton set out to do is build his team in a certain way to move players along. And when you're at that level, when you're flying through the league, when you're, you know, expected to win and do all that. And I mean, they would have played the game here. Like it was so many things were lined up for them to, to, you know, to do that. But they ran into a team that is not for play clearly, as we've seen in the past and, and even this year. But I think that, yeah, the players definitely had that in their back of their mind. And there's another there's another aspect to me that, like, people say leader and they think that it's just one person. Like, there could be multiple leaders on that team. And I'm sure there were. Like, I'm sure the Walker Zimmerman that we saw then may not be what he is now, but he may have had a, a sense of leadership in that way. Like maybe somebody like Tyler Miller, who people might not expect, maybe had a sense of leadership in his way. Like it could be multiple people. I think that you just focus so much on like it's Carlos Vela. This is you know a superstar. It should yeah. he should be certain ways, and it's like it doesn't always work like that. Because then you could get a guy like like the Galaxy did when they brought Chicharito in, who 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 was didn't do well, and then like like this is supposed to be a leader. And now every day he talks to the media, but when he had his bad time, he was doing the same thing Vela was doing. He was being quiet. He wasn't saying anything. So I guess it just comes with the territory. Carlos has taught me a lot about life and being a man. Actually, this is like, <laughs> that's good. That's yeah, good. No, it's good. Thank you, Carlos, for for all the lessons. What would you What would you have rather had? Do you think if you could have picked? I'm curious to know now. Mm. Like, if you could have decided on like a captain and a leader, and you could have built your your best person. Like, where would you put them on the field? Who would they be? Like, what What would you have wanted? Would you have wanted like a midfield maestro captain? Yeah, no, I think that's that's important. I did really love Walker. I thought Walker had an an extra something we about all him. of our locker room guys away. Walker was the man. Walker is the man. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I you shout out to Walker for like becoming an even better player. Yeah, like when, sure. when he left the club, right, and like he just shows like he can play at any coast on any level. And like I think that's really dope for for us to see as supporters and kind of still root for him. Um, I really, I really had hoped it was Carlos. I thought even with his unconventional way of leading, like that the results were just so good. But now I think we just, we have to ask the questions about who might be better for it. Also, the armband is so political. I get that. It's hard not to give the guy making $4 million a year, <laughs> the armband, you know, like, especially if there's any hint that he wants it, which I think there was, right? right. Especially when he's going for that, that scoring title, when he was going for MVP, like there was an aspect of like, this team is Carlos. So naturally Carlos is the captain, is the leader of the team. 
Um, I, I don't know. Like you, in soccer, in like in soccer, like the armband is the one who talks to the referee, right? And argues calls and tries to like kind of jostle the calls together, right? Like that's it's a coach on the field. Yeah, yeah coach on the field. That's I mean that's one way to look at it. And again, I think that like who's ever playing striker, sometimes your best player isn't your captain, and that also makes sense. But in the case of LAFC and moving personnel in the league of MLS and blah 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 blah. Yeah. It, what will be interesting is as we were talking about like seeing Georgia. You know, Giorgio in there with him and seeing how that works could be good. And I do think it's easier to be the type of classical leader from a center back position or from center midfield than it would be on a wings. (laughs) There's a good winger. I guess Philip Lamb. Eh, Anyways, we've talked about this too much. Is everyone speaking Spanish on on the pitch? I would assume more often than not they are, but maybe not all the way through. Which is funny. One quick thing on the captain armband that you say. Uh, I was on my way to the game. I want to say it was the San Jose game, the last one at the bank. Maybe it was one prior to. Anyway, they sent out the lineups, and it had Cal Jennings listed as the captain. Oh, and I almost like dropped everything that I had going. And I was like, what Cal the Jennings. fuck is going on? Because Carlos Vela was on the field, and I was like, wait, wait, hold up. Like something, like what happened? Like, is he about to like lead? This is like, I was freaking out. And then like two minutes later, sorry, we made a mistake. I was like, yo. <laughs> see, that's on your head, baby. We're coming for your neck. Don't play with me like that, man. <laughs> I think that's a good that's a good moment to take a break. Second break. We'll be back with segment three shortly to talk about uh, the possibility. We're just going to talk about hypotheticals of Cal Jennings <laughs> for the rest of the podcast. We're back, FCFC pod. You slapped your neck. <laughs> uh, Slim's slapping slapping necks over here. Josh is laughing up. We got Andy Diosa still in the backyard. For Just the so Lama you guys boy. know, I've been By tripping way, on we- shrooms this whole fucking episode. <laughs> That's what Slim says every episode, guys. Don't believe him. He's lying. Uh, we're drinking a little Japanese shincha from Yame uh, from my last trip. Interesting story about this tea. I bought two kilos of tea. <laughs> No yeah. joke. Whenever you no like, joke. do anything with tea, it's so drug Yo, related. I brought dog. two kilos. I bought two kilos of tea on this trip. I bought so much tea. This is actually the only tea I didn't purchase. I fucking stole that shit. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, so uh, you just smuggled guy, bricks, dog? No, this guy, this guy gave it to me. At the end of my trip in Yame, after I'd gone to these farms and everything, he, he was, just I gave mean, it this to dude, you, huh? he's a sake, he's a sake maker, so he's, he knows sake, and he's like, well, which farm? He's like, which farms did you like? And I told him which farms I liked, and then he was like, oh, well, you didn't go to like the oldest one. I'm like, well, where's that one? And he was like, oh, I'll send it to you. And I'm like, what do you mean? And so we bought some sake from him, and he just sent us for free these two ones, and it's probably my favorite. Yeah, he just sen- shits you bricks. It's huh? my favorite. It's my favorite sense I've ever had. <laughs> It's my favorite sencha I ever had. I made it cold brew for you guys last night. Ooh. It's been brewing all night. And then I made a, I made a hot one right now so you get to enjoy it both so ways. Is this shencha or shinsha? Well, the difference. <laughs> you guys know that the only reason that I talk about soccer is so I can talk more about tea. It's all just a Trojan horse into tea, into tea world here. Um, but the difference is, as I try to pour and talk into a microphone at the same time, you got it. You got it. The difference is uh, Shincha comes out at the beginning of the year. It's the first pluck. So, like, the plant has been dormant the whole year, and the first buds that come out of the year only can make Shincha, the new tea of the season. It'll still get, like, harvested a couple more times, but those won't be Shincha. It won't be new tea. It won't be the very first one. 
but it's produced the same way in terms of like steaming, and that's why it seems very unprogressive of, of them to categorize people like that <laughs> or tease g- like that. <laughs> people, what are you talking about? I don't okay, know, yeah, man. he is actually on mushroom. <laughs> <laughs> I really am. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna hit you guys with the hot number two before we do the cold. Hot two. Hot two. Andy, so, you had any um any any uh, we asked Max something like Bredos when he was on here like. What was your first like announcer memory? Like, what 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 made you want to become announcer? And he said like he had these figurines and he some just <laughs> he basically he, said he was a crazy ass kid. <laughs> to Max him, so. Max is still a crazy ass. Yeah, kid. that's why we love him. <laughs> Shout out to Max, man. That's my guy. But for you, you remember any article or anything that you like you read that you're like, yo, this is what I want to do. Yo, man, I always tell people my story into journalism is the weirdest shit because I did not have this plan at all. Like the reason I became well, the reason I got into journalism is because I was lazy as shit. And when I was looking for a college major, I was like, just give me something that has no math courses. You're buff as hell for someone that says they're lazy. Lazy in, in school, <laughs> school-wise, school-wise. School, outside of school, yeah. no, dude. I'm like, fucking, I'm pumping. Wait. I'm outside. Right. I'm outside. In school, I was like, bro, I don't want to do none of this shit. And I did process of elimination. And my, my advisor was like, yo— Maybe journalism, and I was like, writing isn't the worst. Like I, I mess with it. And mind <laughs> you, I, 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 like, I never wrote in like high school. Like I just yeah, would do yeah, what yeah. English class needed to. And I was like, fuck it, I'll do it. But going to school in Boston, I was like, you know, sports is just in, in certain city sports is crazy. So when I got there, I was like, I've always been a big sports fan. And this major work. People works. that are kind of nice with the words in Boston. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I was like, yo, this this might this might be a, a avenue. And I kind of just hit the ground running. And, and through college, I was like, just really just wilding out until I like started getting internships and. And jobs, and that was really it. So I didn't have like an aspiration to do it. But to to what Dweez was saying earlier, I think the deeper you get into it, the more like you get out of the routines of like the same bullshit over and over. You start realizing you could tell different stories. You could talk to different people. One of my favorite things to do on on the soccer scene is talk to fans. Like forget the players and shit. Like I like to. I went to the Charlotte opener this season. Like go and talk to fans. I went to the Austin opener last year. Like just talk to random people in the audience and like really get what what they're feeling out of it and. I think that it allows you to, you know what I'm saying? It allows you to be able to do that. And it's pretty dope to me. So but such a truth is you saying that I saw a podcast or something that you were, yeah. and I just put it together. Yeah. That, oh, I like, <laughs> Yeah, man. I, it's, it's like that. Even, even LAFC. Like I, I talked to, I talked to Jimmy for like one of my um, early LAFC stories. And it's like, just talking to people from the 3252, like early on was super dope just to kind of get like in a, into what the world is like over here. Cause I'm, I'm coming to, a state I never even had really been to, moving into it. So, like, I really wanted to capture, I guess, that essence and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's pretty cool, man. I, I just like storytelling. I like talking to people and just, you know, just well, seeing how they're feeling. I, I think mean? I also just stopped Andy right there because, like, this is one of the reasons I want to have him over because he's a real one and he loves the game and he understands the game. And I think the reason you love talking to fans is because that's that brings you back to that room in the middle of Rhode Island right, with right. all those, you know what I mean? It's just <laughs> legal stream. Yeah. That's that, that what brings you back to that. Him apart. And with you too, is you don't just understand the game. You understand the human connection. Yeah. And the, col- and the culture that. around the game yeah. and what it means to be like connected to a global system and all this shit, like to, to talk about the sport or to cover the sport properly. Like you have to understand like all the facets of it, I think. And I think that like you can do it in so many different ways, your own way. But like, if you kind of only look at it as like a sport, 
you know, or if you kind of put it into like a American sports coverage Kevin thing. Baxter. I'm not saying, no, like, look, there's, I mean, there's, we got lots of friends in the booth. We got lots of friends in the booth. Uh, you got to call you know, them friends because you're in proximity no, with them all the fucking and, time. And I like, I like different people have, have different styles, different ways of going about. I'm just saying like, I love what Andy brings to the table. And like, it's been cool to hear your story about like where it, where it comes from, because I think like I always knew and we'd like to talk about stuff, but like to hear you kind of talk about why you're connected in that way. And then now talking about talking to supporters specifically, I think that that's very valuable. That was my favorite part of the job. Yeah, you know, nah, for sure. I think that like, I, I like, I think, I think it's Vince that has this like in his Twitter bio. It's like, I don't break news. Like there's people that do things in the industry that are very good at it and things that I never wanted to do. Like, I don't want to be the guy that's like doing news and rumors and shit like that. Like I just, just want to carve my own little lane and do my, you know, tell my stories in the way that I think is, you know, I see fit. And even like, um, I went to the CONCACAF final in Seattle and I was like, let me just walk around like and just see what the hell these people are like, like what's going on. And and at the end of the day, like it was just capturing that, like there's people that go and just like, ah, I'm going to go into the press box. I'm going to ask my questions and boom, boom. I would write a little recap and keep it moving. But I'm like, yo, like I talked to probably like six different sounders that night and like all different types of shit. Like they're telling you how they're feeling, you know, this is my best experience, this and that. And it's like, just you got to capture everything. I also think that you go into it with an open mind. And I, and I kind of translate this into life in general. Like, go into it sometimes without a plan. Like, go into it and see, like, hey, what happens in this game? And then the story will go from there. Like, if you go, you can have an idea, but if you really get stuck on that, then sometimes it might not go as you plan it. One I, one fucking uh, Trafico, I went down to Carson when uh, in the early days when Slatan was still here. And I ended up taking, like, an Uber pool, and that was still a thing back then. And the kid that I took an Uber pool with ended up being, like, a focal part of my story. And I, like, none of that shit was planned out. But I'm, like, it's just crazy how things happen. So I think it's, like, with journalism, you you have that opportunity. Because at the end of the day, you're the one that's telling the story. So, you know what I mean? Like, you do it whatever way you see fit, whatever way you want to. But Dweez is right, man. You got to – I've been working in sports for since I got out of college. And to me, I always say, take a step back and remember, like, you were a fan or you still are a fan. Like, Look at it that way first and then, you know, approach it from a different way because sometimes we get caught up in in too many other things and trying to maintain, like you're saying, a certain status or a certain agenda. And I'm like, man, there's already enough people that do that. And, like, I don't get told to do that. And if I did, I wouldn't be doing it. So I just navigate it the way I see fit and keep it moving. A.K.A. he's a real one. Okay. (laughs) Um, Do you get sick of it? Are you tired of sports at all? Do you get tired of it sometimes? Bro, I am so jaded. But the thing is, like, the thing about me is, so I've been— I've been writing for a decent amount of time, but there was a time that I wasn't writing between like jobs and, you know, I I do a lot of digital media work, editorial stuff. I did at ESPN. I do it now at Yahoo. That's like aside from stuff that I do writing wise. So I'm, I'm very connected. Like people like, Oh, you know, you just do soccer. And I'm like, yeah, when I write it's mostly just soccer, but like I'm connected on, on every sport, you know, on a different level, reading other people's work, you know, getting things out, content, stuff like that. So after a while you do get jaded, man. Like, I think the good thing about LA is that I've been able to find that balance of like when I'm off, I'm off. And like, you know, sports happen every day all around, the t- all around the clock. But when I was at ESPN, it was just like work, work all the time. Even when I wasn't working, I was thinking about, you know, what's going on. And after a while, like you're a fan, but then, you know, we're talking about you watch certain baseball games. I'm like, yo, sometimes I just don't care. Like sometimes <laughs> I'm just like, I really don't. And, and it, it's, it kind of sucks to say that because you, you strip a little bit of that like passion away, but I was never like, 
like that like crazy fan either that like I need to watch every game or like if my team loses I'm gonna have a miserable day like nah bro like it's fun and it trust me it hurts like when your team loses that shit hurts and you feel that for a certain amount of times like so we're talking about sports fans or sports betters <laughs> I mean, that is the same thing listen I don't sports bet and that's the reason because I'll yeah. probably be depressed the rest of my life yeah. but sports betting is gonna ruin a lot yeah, of life stay away from sure. that shit yo I don't I mean hey I don't but condone you, it but <laughs> you got that relationship with with um the club team you for know? sure yeah, so no. like I don't know how many times we can have that over you know? 100% like, like I get that I understand yeah. that yeah it's it's hard to maintain equal love and equal balance yeah. when it comes to different sports different For countries sure, and man. all that but especially if they let you down time after time you're like my home how many more times I'm gonna watch this scene do the same shit and still be cheering for them be right back at it once again and then like that's the part of being a fan but oh you talking about the Knicks <laughs> let's go baby but it's like it's like that and you know like it's so funny because you see, it's across the board, right? Like, there's not many teams that are sustainably just good all the time. And it's like, bro, you think about sports, there's always one winner. Everybody else loses, bro. Right, right. <laughs> there's one champion. <laughs> everybody else loses. Yeah. It's like, whatever league, everybody's going to lose besides one fucking team. So it's like, you got to take a step back. But um, nah, I, I, I do I do uh, get tired of it in that sense, Dewey's, but there's also a, a beauty about it, like I said earlier, to be able to kind of approach it the way you want to, right? And, and tell those stories the way you want to. And it, it just, like, I tell my editor, like, I have an idea. I want to go to Austin and go talk to these fucking weirdos with green wigs on and, like, see, what see like, how the hell they got into it. Like, how are they so passionate about a team that literally just just came out of nowhere? So things like that. And, like, those those part, those stories to me are fun. So if nobody else likes it, I'm cool because I'm a writer. <laughs> I think it's a cool thing. And, and you know, thankfully people do. But, I mean, there's there's so many ways you could go about it. So I think you make you make the best out of it your own way. Listening That's to Andy homies. talk right now, it makes me feel like you have a healthy attachment to your job. Like it's not, it's not an over-attachment. And I think that like in this country, at least, and especially things we're passionate about, like how many times have we been drilled into our head, do something you're passionate about, do something you love, right? right. And so you over-identify. And a lot of times when people get the thing that they wanted to do, it ends up like going south on them or sour because they For think sure. they over-identify with it and they over-identify with what it's supposed to be. But like the truth is none of this shit's going to save you. Right, right. Like no, no job's going to save you. Nothing, no, you know what I mean? Nothing's going to make you happy in that regard. And having like a healthy detachment, having that like, I, I come to my job, like you said, like I come, I do my thing, but like sometimes, yeah. sometimes I'm just out. Oh, sometimes man. I'm out on the track with good oh, vibes. Yeah, I'm Shout out to running, good vibes. you know what I mean? Christian, where are you at? I don't know what these people call you in the streets, but Big you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, you know, like you have a life, yes, you know, sir. and you have all these other things that you do and- by not being too attached to your work or not being too attached. And I think about this in, in supporter culture too, right? Like how can you balance like loving something so much to spend all this time doing it and still be like, okay, when things maybe don't go the way of the club, for example, or when like you can't go or when um, some other aspect of it isn't really working out, can you like have a good day still? And I think that like, we all probably need to do that better. I can only speak to myself. I need to do that better. Like I have an unhealthy attachment with like, or I have had in my life so many unhealthy attachments with like things I do and things I spend time on because we're drilled into like this whole idea of like throwing yourself into it and like being passionate. And if you love something, you got to like love it to the fullest or whatever. But do you guys, do either of you have issues with like an over-attachment to LAFC or other things? We are a supporters podcast. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, but like, but what I'm saying is like, I'm talking about like a psychological level. You're, everyone that listens to this podcast is a little bit psychotic. <laughs> Let's be honest, bro. Like we've been doing this shit for five years and that's why it did implode a little bit for those 11 minutes, um, you know, at, at the last home match. 
is because yeah, you're right. Like it it can boil over and you see it in all the chats and whatever, like on a week that we lose a bad match, it's just a little bit more negative. You know what I mean? It can affects- you, can you be, pa- I guess my question is, I mean, I understand what you mean, but mm-hmm. can you be passionate about something without like being so attached to it that you mistake it for who you are? Like it's on a, a very level, fine you know line, I mean? right? Yeah, it is definitely level. Cause, cause the amount of time and effort that we put into it, like, yeah. Can, you, can you put in the time without the attachment? Exactly. That's my question. Exactly. Do you think and, so? Uh, for a long period of time? No. It's impossible. Like, you know, that's why people like Julio and Ray say stuff like, if you're not one of us, you'll never understand. Because they're they're just in a different mindset, right? <laughs> they, it's in their blood. They, they grew up with it. It's it, When they say culture, it's really their culture because they've, like, through their generations in their families they've lived it whereas yeah it's different in culture for like me where you know like it's one of the things you are but it's not the only thing you are yeah so to speak yeah um so would, yeah that, was, would you think that that's accurate but i think that's the beautiful thing about 3252 right there's different levels like levels of that spectrum styles, yeah, yeah and like we're all able to give our input and our and voice our opinions on it so that we can all understand each other's different levels, right? Mm. Like, it's not about, like, trying to find a level ground. It's about, like, understanding why people react to certain things the way they are because they're at, you know, a different level in their mindset and what the culture is. And then there's people that'll, you know, reel it in or, you know, push them forward. Whatever it is, right. you need that spectrum. It's, it's, it's you know, like, corporate America, right? It's, it's why they say you like there's too many corporations that don't have a minority voice or person on that board to give that opinion Mm. um and that's kind of in like what the beautiful thing about how the 3252 was orchestrated is that there are different levels and we all are able to to contribute a voice to what we're trying to build spice what do you think about all this fire that was fire that was fire that was like (laughs) mic drop yeah um i mean it's like i hate doing this it's like pulling teeth but I really got to big up Sam for his 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 brain and his mind for how it understands supporter culture and how that interprets the TSG stuff. Because I remember, look at me in the eyes, you fucker! You can't even think I, I can't. Dude, it's hard right now. <laughs> no, but um, okay. End of season one, um, we get knocked out of the playoffs, right? First round, and then now this has become kind of a leader's tradition. But Sam pens a note on whether cacao talk or Slack or whatever we got at the time. Just really being like, let's remember how important the season was and what like what we gained from here. And also like, it was like a mental health check to be like, yo, know that you're loved. Fucking don't do anything crazy tonight. We'll come back next season um, and do it stronger. And like, know like that what we built here is going to last beyond whatever the result here is on the pitch. And this fucking sucks, but we built something really, really dope together. Like, let's really stick to that. And so... I think all of us have taken cues from that. And I pen whenever we fucking lose a big game, like I pen a big fucking thing to our, our guys to me, like take care of your mentals and your fucking chickens, chickens and, make sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just be like, you, we're going to be okay. Cause like if we stick by supporter fucking code and law, we build safe environment, a fun environment for families and kids and for people and supporters to fall in love with this game and this club. Like that shit is beyond that's a calling, right? Like that's, that's when it comes like, that's, that's the only way I give the time that I give because I understand it on that level. And I, but I do think it's like, there is a check you have to do at the end of the day where it's like, I don't want this to 
to swing me for a month in, a, in the wrong direction, even though it fucking sucks. Like let's really try and build on some positive out of it. And let's try, let's try and take away the important things, which is what we built already. I mean, that's, and that Sam really sets a tone for that from them, from, from the jump. So yeah, that's, it's, it's, it, that's kind of a roundabout way, but I just like, that's how I understand it. Like I give my fucking time to this because I believe it as a higher calling. Hmm. At the same time, like there needs to be a check of being like, this is not the end of the world because everything we have like next to a shoulder to shoulder, as we say. Hmm. No, that's real. And I think, I mean, as a neutral, like just seeing the league from, you know, different perspectives and seeing it now so close with, with LAFC and, and the Galaxy here, like what you guys have built as a, as a, as a supporters group and as a collective 3252, like it's special, man. And, and, you know, people can say whatever they want. And there's obviously been great fan bases in the league from, you know, I guess from the inception to now, but LAFC supporter groups has, has applied pressure to, to put it in the, in a simple term. And, and everybody feels that, you know, like the Seattle's who, who, who has that fan base that is so passionate, uh, Portland, uh, even Atlanta coming on the scene. Like I think LAFC set this standard so quickly, obviously success on the field helps, but I think when you take a step back and, and look at, like we talked about earlier, the different dynamics of the 3252, the different type of culture, people, all that energy. And now hearing you guys talk about like, yeah, like we're doing this because we feel like there's more. It's not just about like soccer. It's not just about being a fan. And and you guys probably know and probably have stories of like how much people get out of it as well under you guys or next to you guys, shoulder to shoulder, whatever the case may be. So I think it's super dope that that you guys are able to, to see that, right? And you're a fan. Like I said earlier, everybody's going to lose besides one team. Like you're going to feel more times than not in sports. You're going to have those days where you're like, this is fucking terrible. But like you said, you get so much more out of it. The good times feel great. The bad times feel terrible, but there's, it's a bigger picture. Like you said, it's a bigger picture. And I think that LASC, the club, the the fan base has done a, a, a spectacular job with it. Um, seeing from, you know, from year one to now, and you're, you're within your right to feel a certain way when certain things happen, uh, you know, team doesn't play so well, you're going to be mad, you're going to have whatever form of protest you may feel fit, but at the end of the day, you you are getting to that point that, like, you have set this precedent and you know what it's about, and it's real, but the club wouldn't be what the club is without without you guys. So, sure. I mean, that's exactly what it is. Andy, when when Independiente <gasps> Medellin... You just call Medellin, don't you? Medellin. Medellin. So when Medellin loses... Does that hurt you harder than any other of the teams you support because yeah. you've been loving it the yeah, longest? For sure, I, I tell people that that's even like more the, than the national team. You think? No, well, the national team has a special way of pissing me off. Like, <laughs> the, I don't think I've ever been more depressed after than the 2018 World Cup when we lost to England in penalties. That was like, I don't think I talked to anybody for like that was a worse, solid two days. Was that worse than them not qualifying this year? <sighs> so I was actually at the game against Peru in uh, Colombia, the qualifier when that game basically eliminated us mathematically. Um, and it was, I mean, I was there with a bunch of people. So like, I was mad, but I was also like, we had been playing like shit. I think it just, you I think I see it. Yeah. You further. see it from a certain it perspective. Like it wasn't just like out of nowhere. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, managing losing to me, it, it definitely has a certain way, especially like Sunday. Like I was like, man, all we had to do was win a home, not even win. We just tied. Then we would have been good. We would have played Thursday and we win that game. We're in the final. And it's like. Once again, like how many other ways are you guys going to continue to do the same thing? So it's like, the thing about Medellin, the team is like, this. that team was founded like 1913. So it's like one of the oldest like Colombian clubs out there. It took them like 40 something years for them to win their first title. And then they had like a drought again. And then it, it went from like the 50s to like 2002 for them to win their next title. Shit. And then like they won in 04 and then they won in 2009 and 2016. So like it's definitely in gaps. Whereas like a team like Nacional comes on board in like the mid whatever 40s or whatever, 
And then they get all this drug money put into them. Not to say that other teams weren't getting that, but then they just like burst on the scene. And then now you're like, yo, where, this is our like our city. And then these guys just came out of nowhere, basically like what's happening here and like kind of took over this shit. And you're like, yo, what's going on? So yeah, no, I definitely, Medellin has a, a special place in my heart and a special place of making me upset. Is it still, fun? <laughs> is it still fun? well, I was going to say, is it still fun to like have that? Yeah, to have that, like, for sure. That, that, that like, that sort of attachment because so much of the rest of your job has to be yeah. more of the non-attachment. Yeah, I'm I think I'm still like a like a little kid when it comes to them. Like I even like I was in Colombia uh when the season started. So I went to the first game of the season and like I still get like I don't I haven't fit I don't feel that happy in other situations. I'm like, oh I'm going to the city with my grandfather, with my dad. Like I'm just gonna go to the game and everybody's gonna be like you say it's a family thing. I know like all the songs from the supporter group. People are like, how the fuck do you know all these words? I'm like, bro, I'm like, this is my team. And it's like, then you then the energy you get, like we scored like in the 87th minute that day. So like everybody just started going crazy. But like even two years ago, I was there uh, during the cup and we won it, but it was the pandemic. So everything was closed. So we got to go outside the stadium, but we weren't able to, you know. I see, I see. So Oof. it's like, you just feel the energy and it's like, it's, it's different, man. It's, it's super cool to still have that. Even my friends know, like uh, when I was at ESPN, we sit in the newsroom, I would watch the games like on my computer, like during work. And they're like, they would just hear me swearing in the back in Spanish. And they're like, yo, they're like, oh, Andy's over there watching Vegeta again. Like everybody knew already. So like, I'm a, I'm a huge fan, but it's like, like you said, it is cool to still have that for sure. Yeah. Well, shout out to Colombian football in general. Yeah. Shout out to fucking go to Medellin. Go Definitely. visit that beautiful city. Definitely do that. Um, I think let's let's move on to recommendations, guys. Let's do it. Uh, Spice, you you ready with yours? Yeah. Um, first, I got to shout out my boy, my good good friend, Albert Gim. He helps run uh, NBA draft website and Twitter called um, No Ceilings NBA. No Ceilings no NBA. Ceilings. And they, um, I always clown on him because he's like obsessed with like. I was clown on him that he like he's like obsessed with like eighteen year old boys and their measurables and shit, <laughs> and like their wingspan and uh, their gait and shit like that. But um, they just got the first sponsor, NBA Top Shot. It will be sponsoring oh, that's that. That's so huge. it's a big come up. Um, they also give, I and it's really hard for me to be I think objective here, but some of the most like comprehensive NBA draft analysis. Fire. The draft is right around the corner. Um, they've actually had like they see their email newsletter signups like. Like members of the Spurs scouting department is like signing for their newsletter and paying to like read their emails and oh, stuff like that. Wow. So that's how they're fucking gamers about this shit. So No Ceilings NBA run by my boy Albert from Garbage Time Gim. I think it's his Twitter right now. Um, but uh, yeah, much love to them and the whole family that they're going to go like supersonic in the next uh, month or so with NBA draft coverage. Supersonic, supersonic. <laughs> and I don't know if I want to recommend this next one. I just watched all of the first season of Severance yesterday on Apple TV. Have you guys heard of this? Yes. Severance? Yeah, I heard of Severance. I think that was a referral from Christian Law. That's why, yeah. Oh, yes, Christian yes. Law, yeah, no, yeah. Good, yes. Mm, good, indeed. It's um, It was like way more fucked up than I thought it. I mean, <laughs> how could I not think it was going to be fucked up? I thought it was just like, so you don't know if you're recommending it or not? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> it's like, it's very, dyst I guess the whole premise is dystopian from the from the jump, but um, it, it got me hooked. It's, it's renewed for a second season, so we'll see. But um, yeah, Severance, maybe. Honorable <laughs> <laughs> mention. Interesting. That's an interesting one. <laughs> no ceilings NBA. Slim, do you got yours? Your boy's back in his Korean drama. Yeah. yeah. Uh, was it 2521? Yes, sir. 25-21. <laughs> What's that? If you like fencing. If you like... <laughs> if you want to empower women's sports, then check out 2521. It's like a 90s... Remember, you remember, like, Korean dramas started having their rise in the 90s. So it was kind of like... 
at the uh, video the way video they're shooting baby. it and stuff was very like like a 90s Korean drama but you know it's it's Korean dramas man they just suck you in you you smile think, you cry I've only, I, I actually did watch the first episode like two days ago coincidentally and I haven't watched one in probably like two years but Sachi's back on it so I'm like whatever so we watched the I first episode I think me and Sachi are I know. Our, our cycles are synced that's <laughs> true <laughs> so uh the first episode, it does have like the details about the Korean economic crisis from the IMF, like lower, yeah, lower yeah. their status, which like, I love any sort of social historical context that's like actually put into the show, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. that it's, and it actually has implications for the characters. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's well done. It's like, that part's well done. And so I'm kind of like, oh, I'll watch it again. Even if I don't like fencing, you know? Unified I'm Korea. against fencing. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's a good one. Check it out. Check it out. Right. It's entertaining. Andy, you got a reco? Uh, my recommendation is like a broad one. Just just get out there and be better for yourself, man. We yeah. talked about running. We talked about like just I love LA because it's it's very outdoorsy. Mm. And we talked about weather back in the East Coast earlier. Like being out here, you get to do stuff all times of the year. Uh, you mentioned the family. Shout out Good Vibes. Shout out Koreatown Run Club. I run with a lot of different groups out here. Um, and Lulu it's just dope because year round. yeah, man, and it's a, it's a fact. But you meet a lot of people, and it's dope because I know there's a lot of characters people that are tapped in with Tigers as well. Um, and I just think like LA, there's so many people doing things. Like I just, my friend that's from home also is working with this group called Field Day. They do like monthly hikes at Griffith Park. And it's just like about Sick. just getting together, um, just empowering people, just, you know, being active. And I think that after a year and a half, maybe two, like just being stagnant, uh, most of us at least is, is pretty dope to, to be able to do that and get out there. So get out there and do something for yourself, man. Feel good. Be active. Um, and what am I watching? I'm watching, what the hell is this shit called? Who Killed Sarah on Netflix? Bro, I've never heard of a more fucked up family in my life than these Mexicans, Netflix, bro. Netflix Yo. and just documenting Yo. crazy white people it's, doing what, shit. It's, it's like, that it's market crazy. is crazy right now. Nah, it's, it's like a, it's like a series of like this Mexican family that's like rich, but like also really fucked up. And I just like, I was like, it, it popped up on my Netflix feed. I was like, I'm gonna watch it. And the first episode, I was like, this shit is corny. But like, sometimes you got to give it a little bit of a time, right? <laughs> so I watched the second one and I was like, oh. Got the hooks in. Yeah. Like, I was like, I don't know what's going to happen next. And like yesterday, I watched like five episodes. I was like, I need to go to sleep. It's three in the morning. But it's, it's wild. There's only three seasons right now. So it's, it's, it's a good watch. And it's in Spanish, but it has subtitles. But yeah, you said it's up. only three seasons right now. It's like it's short though, like forty, like little, like four, uh, forty-five minute episodes. Yeah. <laughs> cool, 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 three seasons. Only thirty-two episodes. No, no, not two. I think like ten, something like that. But That's you, how good it is. I don't even know. Netflix really got a lot of those like documentary type, deal, like the worst, too. worst neighbor or whatever. Like I can't start any of those All because the, I'm the just culture. like. I need a pain to time. I'm a happy person. I don't need to know how fucked up people <laughs> are in this up. world. You're I don't want to sleep. Know. Like, yo, life is fucked. Ignorance like, is man. bliss. Like, I'm going to watch my Korean drama and be happy about fucking women's fencing. I've, Wait, I've, but they start off with an IMF fucking Korean Yeah, you know that? I mean, it's either like like someone goes broke or someone gets cancer. Like, that's Korean dramas. Yeah. Like, it's got to start somewhere. <laughs> we, just, we just accept our lot. We're like, yeah. it's, it's good. One of the one or two choices. We like drinking, cigarettes. Like, you know, like, what are you going to do? Weezy. Yeah, so I didn't watch TV or movies for like six weeks because I was gone <laughs> and running around. So I have nothing to recommend on that front. I just watched that first episode. And I did just watch the first episode of Under the Banner of Heaven, which is the Andrew Garfield FX show about these Mormon murders that John Krakauer wrote about years ago. I have no idea if it's good or not, so I'm not going <laughs> to recommend that. What I am going to recommend is Walter... 
our boy Walter, that's right, of the 3252 right. drum phase, he did start that podcast that he mentioned. Oh, hell yeah. That he was going to start. It's called Lil Tokyo, Tokyo Talks. Talks. And Lil Tokyo Talks is fucking dope because he's getting people from Little Tokyo. First of all, listening to that made me think like every neighborhood that I love in LA just needs to have their own pod. Yeah, that's fine. And Oof. someone like Walter to like kind of walk you through it. Historian shit. Because it's not so... The episode that I listened to today uh, featured Jito, who runs Little Tokyo Table Tennis, which every Tuesday night, you can go to Little Tokyo to the Budokan, the cultural center, and you can play table tennis for free. And it's like with a bunch of people, and some of them are fucking amazing, and some of them are more beginners, but it's great. And Walter's doing his taiko, uh, taiko practice and class at that same time. So you hear drums the whole time you're doing it. It's like just a wonderful vibe. Uh, so I've been once cause we usually record on Tuesday nights, but that's kind of like a side recommendation of this, but listening to the pod with Walter talk about Jiro who started it, he's just like such an interesting dude and like how, what he's intending it to be in little Tokyo and how like Walter sort of like, you know, if you know Walter, you know, he loves little Tokyo and spends a lot of time there <laughs> and walking through like Japanese American history with him was really fun. And I just thought it was beautiful because we had him on the pod and he said he was going to launch this and then he actually did. That's fire. And um, he, there's a bunch of other episodes. One of them is with the security guard at one of the courts in Little Tokyo, which I'm sure is really interesting, right? Like, so he's not just grabbing like business owners, right? He's he's doing a good job about finding different people. I think they already got like six or seven episodes up. Right. So the episode is, or the podcast is Little Tokyo Talks on all the plays you get it. And your boy, Walter, you know him, you love him. Fire. Uh, Can we just uh, go to the, the Budokan. Like, it's an incredible community yeah. fucking space. Go to the Budokan. Um, shout out the director. Shout out Walter's. Um, Walter was helping teach karate also when we were painting the Yuri Kojiyama t- uh, TIFO there. And, like, his karate sensei knew, knew Yuri personally mm. and was just talking about how cool it was and how important it was the newer generation was finding out about her and really honoring her and um, really lionizing her legacy because he was saying, like, that even back in the day when we were growing up, like, there wasn't a lot of love for activists because like it, it was like it's a fi- it's a firebrand, right? right? So, but for that to happen at the same time as like community karate and and taiko drumming, table tennis on Tuesdays, there was open gym um, basketball going on right next to us. Like it really is like a thriving cultural hub right in the middle of downtown for everyone. From what I can understand, like everyone to really enjoy on mm. on on open gym nights on all these free kind of um, lesson days. So yeah. yeah. And to, and to Andy's point, like th- these are the things you can do when you get out to LA and see things. And like, I think Walter's pod really helps you learn that neighborhood better if you're not familiar with it. Um, and we fucking hope that there's more. We should do, you should do a Koreatown podcast, Josh. There you go. Uh, I just figured out your next, you're not that guy. We yeah, gotta yeah, find the guy. We gotta yeah, find well, the guy. I'm, I'm down to Maybe, find that is guy. Is there one? Is there one? Maybe not. I don't know. But like the neighborhood specific There's probably one, some psycho right wing one right now. <laughs> no, but the, the hyper local one is like, is like the way to go. I, I fucking love that. it. Yeah, yeah, that's such so, a great. And Walter, also great stickers. They have a little Shiba Inu as yeah. their, as their um, yeah, mascot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He talks about the logo in the, in the intro. So okay. you should listen to it. Yeah, I know, listen. Okay, come on, Terrence. Come on, come on, come on, on now. Now. You right. call me out. <laughs> I think that's it. On that note, this has been another episode of the FCFC pod. Appreciate y'all tuning in. We love you. Bye. FCFC. FSA, FSA, FCFC, FSA, 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 FSA